0: one of the reasons why all of these things that we can try and do to fix ourselves one of the reasons why they ultimately don't end up working is because there's nothing to fix in the first place
1: living a healthy balanced life as a mom can sometimes feel impossible with tiny mouths to feed, butts to wipe, and so many things vying for our attention, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe every mom is a supermom, and you deserve to feel like one too, and you don't have to go on another diet to do it. Join me, Kristen Dovniak, holistic nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor for conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life. I want to help you uncomplicate eating, improve your relationship with food, and live like the super mama I know you are. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I'm so excited to have all of you here with me today. I have another awesome guest on the podcast. You guys, I feel so incredibly blessed to be able to welcome incredible women like the one that you're going to hear from today on this podcast, to be able to have really real conversations with them about struggles that we all go through when it comes to food and body image and life as a mom, as a woman, as a human. And I think my mom is probably, you know, laughs a little bit every time I talk about the podcast because I can't, I really truly feel so so blasting can't believe that being able to talk all day is a part of my job because I was definitely that child who loved to talk as a kid and I would try and get my words in in any way I possibly could and now I am able to take that and speak with all of you and have these incredible conversations with incredible women and I think you are going to absolutely love the conversation I have today. Simi Bodic is a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating counselor, and the author of Letting Go of Leo, How I Broke Up With Perfection, a memoir about overcoming her decade-long struggle with feeling like she wasn't enough. Through her work, she helps women all over the world ditch perfection and heal their relationships with food and body image so they can begin to embrace their beautifully imperfect lives. To learn more, visit her at SimiBodich.com and at SimiBodich. We had the most fantastic conversation, you guys. I cannot wait for you to start listening to it, so I'm going to keep this short, but we talked all about this idea of breaking free from this perfectionistic mindset. When it comes to everything from food and body image, she shared a lot of her story about restriction with food and over exercising, um, and how she left her career as an attorney to help women with this struggle with perfection when it comes to food and body image and really help them find um, this freedom in their lives as a whole. We talked about perfectionism as it relates to motherhood and how we grow with our children. And it was just a really fabulous conversation overall. She is such an incredible human being. She gave so much wisdom in this interview and I can't wait for you to dig in. So I will stop talking and let us get to the interview with Simmy. Hey Simi, welcome to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I'm so excited to have you on and to chat with you this morning.
0: I'm so excited to be here, Kristen. Thanks for having me.
1: Totally. So I want to start with an icebreaker, if that's okay with you. Super simple. I just started doing this actually this year, but I think it's really fun to just ask someone something like very, like a little bit personal just to kind of break the ice and get things going. So what do you like to drink first thing in the morning?
0: Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And I like my first cup of coffee um, with nothing in it, just like plain black coffee. Um, I try to take a few sips of water before I drink my coffee, but sometimes it doesn't happen in that order. So definitely a cup of coffee. I look forward to it. Every night when I'm going to bed, I think like, oh, tomorrow morning I get to have a cup of coffee and I can't wait.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love coffee too. So is there any like special way you like to brew it or is it just drip coffee or –
0: Oh, I will drink basically any coffee. It just depends on um, it depends on the day. So I have an espresso, and if I'm making if I'm making coffee just for me, um, then I'll usually do a double shot of espresso in my Nespresso, and I love that. And if um, my husband and I are both going to be drinking coffee. Then we'll either do a French press or like a drip coffee in our coffee pot. So any one of those ways I will take it or, um, in the neighborhood that I live in, um, there are so many lovely, uh, local coffee shops, uh, just walking distance away. And so if it's a morning where we're going to be out and about early on, then I will be eager and excited to pick up coffee from one of those places too.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so fun. And I love that you can do it with your family, too. Uh, That's one of the things I miss. I used to live in Toronto, which is a much bigger city than the little island I live in in New England now. And we're not within walking distance. We're very close to coffee shops, but walking is so nice. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So I already shared your professional bio right in the beginning, but I would love if you could just share a little bit more about who you are and what you are passionate about bringing to the world.
0: Definitely. So um, I am, well, right now, what feels like really big in my mind is that I'm a mom. So I have two kiddos. I have a three-year-old son um, and uh, a daughter who is um, a couple months old and They are a big part of my life and a big part also about why I'm passionate about the work that I am passionate about doing, which is really about helping specifically women to learn how to um, connect with their bodies and trust their bodies and listen to their bodies and really make peace with their bodies um, in a world that tells us that that's not how we should feel about ourselves. Um, and even more than that, to really get to a place where they're embracing what I like to call like their beautifully imperfect lives, whether that be with food, with body image, um, with motherhood, with career, just really helping them break free from perfection and embracing their inherent enoughness and who they truly are. Um, A big part of that is uh, taking an intuitive eating approach to food. So um, breaking free from diet culture and learning how to cultivate that body attunement and really listen to and honor those cues in a way that works for, you know, their lives and their lifestyles and their values. Um, And with that, also uh, the body image work and the perfectionism mindset work as well.
1: What a beautiful mission. I love that. And I think I've already gushed to you that I love, I love the work you do. Um, but it is such a beautiful mission and so needed in our world. And I know that you know that, but it really, it really is. So you share on your website that a decade ago, your life looked drastically different. It says, I was a food obsessing, schedule filling, to do list checking, compulsive running corporate attorney so different than what you do now
0: (laughs) yes So (laughs) it does feel like a different lifetime
1: (laughs) oh I joke all the time about like my past life you know when years ago when I was a completely different person than I am now what I was doing was way different than I mean it was still involved with food I was a chef for a long time um but it's so different than what I do for now um what I do now so what was that journey like for you from that woman you were then this food obsessed schedule filling to-do list checking compulsive running corporate Attorney to the women you are today, helping women with this mission you have to help them live their beautifully and perfect
0: lives. So, for me, and I think that this is true for, for a lot of people, um, I felt very insecure and not good enough growing up. So, I felt really uncomfortable in my body. Um, I felt like Oh, I wasn't as good at sports as other kids were. I really, I really, really had this idea in my mind that everyone else was like up here on a different level. And I was just a little bit below that or a lot of it below that. And that I constantly needed to be pushing myself to this idea that I had in my head of perfect so that I could get external validation and feel like I was as good as these other people and feel like I belonged Um, and that I was likable. And those that mindset, that feeling of not being enough, um, really kind of pushed me down this path of struggling with food and my body. So I wanted to try to manipulate my body and control my body so that I could feel like I fit into this idea of what I believed was good enough. And that would be like lovable that other people would love. Um, And so struggled with uh, dieting. I tried lots of different diets. Um, I really was always, uh, feeling so insecure in my own skin. Um, and that I carried that with me, um, through college, through law school and into when I started practicing law. Um, I have discovered through lots of years of therapy and coaching and processing. That, um at the root of all of the food and body stuff was this feeling of not being enough, and because of feeling not enough, that I developed a lot of these perfectionist tendencies. so not only did I have perfectionist tendencies around food and my body, but i also um, I also had them in a lot of different areas of my life, including this feeling of like wanting to have the perfect career and wanting to just really make everyone happy and be feel like very impressive in what that and what I did. And because of that, I ultimately ended up going to law school and becoming an attorney um, without really ever even checking in with myself around like, is this something that I'm passionate about? Is this something um, that I'm like excited to really dive into and to, to devote my life to? Um, I was very much operating from a place of what I felt like I should do. Um, in order to be enough, and so it was food struggle, it was body struggle, it was exercise struggle. I was over exercising. Um, it was pursuing this career that ultimately, like, didn't end up being right for me. Um, it was all of these things, and so I found myself in this career in a relationship with myself that just was really, really, um, like, painful and self-critical and very much about, um, punishing myself for not being enough, always trying to fix myself. And really early on when I started practicing law, I also got married shortly thereafter. And I had a moment on my honeymoon where I just kind of had a breakdown and shared with my husband, how I was feeling about myself and my body and what it was basically like inside my head all the time but I didn't talk about out loud very often. Um, And he encouraged me to get support and to get help. And so I came back from my honeymoon and I started working with a health coach and with a therapist to really heal my relationship with myself. And that was at the root of it. But of course, like kind of branches from there were food and body image and movement and ultimately um, career. And all of those things led me down a very different path than I ever anticipated being on, um, which is where, which led me to where I am now, um, where I have my own business, uh, where I support women, um, to heal their relationships with food and body image and to let go of perfection. Ultimately, um, I left the practice of law to do this work full time, um, and really just being in a, a very different place with myself, but also seeing the world in a very different way um, than I used to see the world and just interacting with with people and with my environment around me. Like Everything has changed so much, um, but that definitely did not happen overnight. That was a long, gradual years and years process, and I'm still always always a work in process trying to learn how to be more present and more like purpose driven in my work but especially like in my life and my relationships.
1: Oh you have such a powerful story I think thank you so much for showing up in this world and sharing your story with people and just the fact that you left this career this high-powered career that you had because your intuition told you that it wasn't right and that you were meant to do something else and that this you know story that I'm this struggle that you went through that I'm sure was so difficult but now you're using that to help other people and I think you're saying what a lot of women either don't recognize in themselves and now they're starting to recognize or they know about themselves but they're afraid to admit
0: Mm-hmm, totally, it's it, I th- I feel like it's such a it's such a common experience, and i I get a lot of um I don't know what the word what the right word is because I'm trying to think of what the right word is. I I feel like there is a lot of value in women in human beings coming together and sharing their real experiences and what they're feeling and what they're going through um, because a lot of times when we're going through hard stuff, we feel so alone and so isolated. And I know that's how I felt. Um, and I, I didn't know that other women were feeling the way that I was feeling. I, I really believe like, I'm the only one who's struggling with this. I'm the only one who, you know, isn't doing this well enough or isn't good enough at this. And everybody else has it figured out. And now like, I see that so differently. It's like, Oh my gosh, we have there's so much common humanity in everything that we're experiencing and everything that we're going through and so i i feel like by sharing, you know, our story or bits and pieces of our story or the parts of our story that we feel safe to share um that we can do like a lot of collective healing through that.
1: Absolutely. Oh, there's so much power in community and i think It, you know, this world of the internet and social media can be used for not so great things, but it can also be used really powerfully to bring people together. And the fact that we have this ability to share with other people and to let them know that they're not alone and to help them recognize these struggles that so many of us are going through. I know that, you know, I want to talk about your book in a second, but I know that I was like, there were so many parts of your book, and I was like nodding along with and going, I felt this way too. And I totally felt like no one else felt that way. And Mm -hmm. I wish I had that book a decade ago when I was struggling in that way. Um, But you know, now there are so many women benefiting from it now. Um, So your book is called Letting Go of Leo. And I think that you know, the listeners are going to have to read the book to find out who Leo is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they could they could try and think and figure it out. But um, I love I love how you kind of wove that throughout the book. But I wanted I wanted to just read the description of your book, um, because I want I want you to speak to the woman who is listening and who might read the back cover of your book and who might be hearing this and saying, that's me. And the description says, people think you have it all together. What these people don't understand is how exhausting it feels to make it look that way. The pressure to keep it all going is intense. You feel unfulfilled and don't believe you measure up to others. You're constantly searching for the secret to experience confidence in your own skin. Despite your have-it-all-together life, you can't figure out how to accept or perfect yourself. You've tried diets, intense exercise, shopping, and stuffing brownies in your face, yet nothing fills the hole deep inside, and you worry, will I ever be enough? What is your first message to the woman who reads that, who listens to this podcast and who comes to you and says, that's me, where do they start?
0: So I think the first thing that I would want to say to them or the place that I would want them to start is just with the truth that you already are enough. And that one of the reasons why all of these things that we can try and do to fix ourselves. One of the reasons why they ultimately don't end up working is because there's nothing to fix in the first place. And that where we really need to start is with like a huge, huge mindset shift that you are not someone to be fixed and by laying that groundwork, by laying those roots, a lot of a lot of growth can happen from there. But we have to start, in my opinion, the work that we do in ourselves, in our lives, in our relationships, um, in our communities. All of it has to has to start from a place of truth. And when we're doing all of these things from a belief that we're not enough it's not coming from a place of truth so really like laying that foundation that you don't need to be fixed you already are enough you are inherently you are inherently worthy you are valuable you are you are enough we can start to create changes we can start to develop behaviors and habits and coping mechanisms and tools and all of those things built from that really, really solid foundation.
1: I love that so much. And I think, like you've been saying, this can relate to so many areas. I know on the podcast, I talk a lot about food and coming at this from a place of food. And I want to talk about your food journey a little bit. But there are so many areas where as women and as moms, especially where we feel like we're not measuring up, where we're just not. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Knowing that, (laughs) you know, there's nothing to fix that we are, you know, we are made perfectly as we are. And, you know, our life is not. I think you said something in the book similar to um, this is totally not a quote, but like, you know, we're not or not meant to live like striving for you know, striving for perfection, I guess that's what your whole book is about. (laughs) But striving Mm -hmm. to be enough, right? Like our life is so much more than just trying to be perfect in every area. And I do want to kind of shout out your book for a second. I told you before we started recording how much i how much i loved it um but you know the other night i was finishing up reading it after having it sit on my shelf for far too long and i'm like laughing i'm crying i like i said before i related to so many parts of the story i let the bath go cold <laughs> reading this book because <laughs> i had to finish it because it was it was just so it's so beautiful and so real and so honest and this is something i, I try to bring up as much as I can on the podcast that I think we need more people in the world, more women, especially talking to other women um, with honesty and with truth and telling them the truth that will never be enough because we're already enough. So I love that so much. And I really hope that they'll they'll read your book. (laughs) Thank you so much. So I want to talk briefly or not so briefly. You can talk as long as you want, but about how your perspective on this idea of letting go of perfection has changed as you've become a mom and become a mom of two. So you had, Osh, at the end of the book, you talked about your birth story and you talked a little bit about motherhood, but it seems like it was kind of, that was right at the end of your story in the book. Yeah. So now you have two kids. And how How has this changed your perspective? And how does it relate to motherhood?
0: Well, I think the thing about Children and this is like such a beautiful thing about them is they are a magnifying glass on all that is real, <laughs> and so everything that is everything that is good and that is wonderful gets magnified. Um, everything that is hard and challenging gets magnified. Um, so becoming a mom has definitely, well, I guess I'll say. That it's absolutely confirmed for me that everything I thought I believed about perfection is definitely what I really, really believe. And I've had Mm -hmm. so many more opportunities to discover how imperfect I am. But with that, also so many more opportunities to understand that when we let go of the need to be perfect, that we allow ourselves to experience so much more connection, deep connection, and also so much more growth. So I feel like a lot of times when I talk to women, they will share with me that a big fear about letting go of the need to be perfect or letting go of some of their perfectionist tendencies is that they have this fear that that means that they will stop striving or that basically they will quote unquote, like, like, let themselves go as like a person. So if they don't need to be perfect, they will stop like pushing themselves forward towards excellence. And I can relate deeply to that fear, but what I have learned, the more and more that I dive into, I guess we can call it like anti-perfection work, um, is that when we are, When we are in a perfectionist mindset, when we're struggling with perfectionism, we are very much in a fixed mindset and it can keep us incredibly stuck. It can keep us in our heads. It can keep us from creativity, from flexibility, but what it definitely keeps us from is compassionate learning, really being compassionate with ourselves about the areas where we have room for growth. And really being excited about those opportunities for growth. Because instead, when we're struggling with perfectionism, what that can feel like is failure. And so it can start us on this downward spiral of being very self-critical, feeling like we're not enough, and that can shut us down. And it literally does shut down the neural pathways in our brain. When we're being self-critical, it shuts down the neural pathways in our brain that actually allow us to um, like soak up new information and truly to learn. So the science shows us that having a perfectionist mindset can actually literally keep us from learning and growing. When we can let go of that perfection and be present in the moment and be really connected to what is going on and what our opportunities are for growth, and that allows our brain to be open to learning, And it also allows our hearts to be open to learning. We're way more excited to learn and to grow and to develop new skills and new abilities and to really dig into that learning when we don't feel like the fact that we aren't already doing it that way means that there's something wrong with us. And so for me as a parent, um, being a parent for me personally has been needing to be in essentially a constant state of openness to learning and growing. Because I have no, like my education is not in child development, it's not in education, it's not, I don't have any kind of past experiences with babies or toddlers or any of these things. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's like you become a parent you have this child and you are responsible for caring for them and helping them to develop into a human being. And it's like, oh my gosh, I have no, (laughs) I have no understanding of how to do that. And so I've really needed to learn. It's like, you know, like on the job training, I've needed to learn, like, how do I how do I parent an infant? How do I parent a toddler? Like, what does this look like? What, how do I need to be showing up for this, for this kid who I just love with my whole, whole heart? But also sometimes I, I don't know what to do and I don't, know, I don't know how to handle this situation and I'm not sure how to navigate this. And so, you know, the perfectionist part of me can come into those situations and can say like, you are a failure you are not good enough. You are not a good enough mom. You really screwed this up. You, you know, you're making a mess of this. You're screwing up your kid. And those, that's the old perfectionist tape that plays in my mind. When I have a moment like that, the part of me that like the more upgraded tape, the, the newer parts of my brain, the skills and the, and the inner dialogue that I've worked so hard to develop these last 10 years has a different story and it says like, Hey, this is a new situation. Um, like, what do you need to learn? What do you need to practice? How can you be present and compassionate and connected in this moment with yourself and with your kids? And where do you have room for grow to grow? And how can you prioritize that growth in a way that works for your life and for you and for your kiddos and for your family? And that's a really, it's the same situation, but it's two totally different tapes playing in my mind. And by picking, you know, the second one that I shared, all of a sudden I feel empowered and I feel excited and I feel like I have an opportunity rather than feeling like I am a failure who's like, you know, ruining all of our lives.
1: Wow. (laughs) That was, that's so good. We really are growing alongside our kids. And I yes. never, I've never i never really thought about it like that. I think I know that as a mom, that's probably the area now, you know, I've, I've gotten over my struggles with food and with exercise and all of that feels good. But I can for sure say that as a mom, there are a lot of days where I'm like, oh, man, I am screwing them up. And I love that the analogy of those two tapes that are playing. And you can choose. You can choose that growth mindset that I am growing through this and I'm growing alongside them and I'm learning and that's gonna that's gonna help you become the best mom you can be I think so often we compare ourselves to this ideal we have in our heads while forgetting that most of us don't have a degree in child development and most of us haven't had a ton of experience like I babysat when I was an early teenager but that does not set you up for being a mom it gives you like a little bit of insight but I love that and I think that's so powerful that we can, we can choose to, instead of choosing perfection, that that's kind of that one track, we can choose a different track and we can choose growth.
0: Totally. And I would just, I would encourage anyone to think about what happens in their bodies, what happens in terms of how they interact and like follow up, you know, behavior when they have that perfectionist track playing in their mind. Just feel what that feels like in your body, what it does to your body, what it does to the way that you react or interact or proceed um, and just notice it and ask like, is that is that working for me? Is that how I want to be feeling? Is that how I want to be reacting and interacting? And if not, to know that the way that we, you know, the way that we change that behavior is like to kind of backpedal all the way through that process to the inner dialogue that kicks off that whole cycle and that by starting to change that inner dialogue and starting to reframe what we make experiences mean about us that it has this ripple effect to all of those to all of those areas and i and it's true with motherhood it's true in in our careers it's true in our relationships with food and with our bodies it's true in all of the ways that we that we show up for ourselves and for, and for other people. Um, and so if there's, you know, a behavior that's feeling really challenging or a way that we're showing up that just like is not feeling right for us or is not working for us anymore, um, to do a little bit of like reflecting and backpedaling and see what the, like what the belief is that is kind of kicking off that entire cycle.
1: Yeah, that's it's so powerful to reflect and notice those feelings in our body. I really love that you brought that up. It reminds me of something. I know um, both you and I are friends with with Paige Schmidt. She was actually on the podcast back in October, um, and and you did a program with her way back in the day. And something that she taught me that I love, and I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the podcast as well, was how we do one thing is how we do everything. And I think yeah. that it's the same thing in parenthood and perfection. And it's looking deep within and going, okay, where is this really coming from? Why, maybe this is manifesting in parenting. Maybe this is manifesting with food, but the, what is the root? Where is this coming from? Is this, and a lot of it is, you know, that striving for perfection rather than, than growth. So I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a really important exercise.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I would love to circle back a little bit um, to eating and how this striving for perfection manifested in your eating. And I know you mentioned this a little bit before, you know, the constant dieting, the being on a whole bunch of different diets. I know there was a part of your book um, that I really loved where you're talking about comparing yourself to celebrities, um, which is something that I used to do and I think so many of us have. And like the way I think of it now is like hoping you'll one day turn into a unicorn because (laughs) their lives are so fabricated they're not real. They're photoshopped and they're, you know, they're just, we, we see the highlight reel um, just like we do with a lot of people on social media. But still, you compared your eating and your body to theirs. And I think so many of us do too. So what was that journey like for you, this striving per, for perfection when it comes to your eating and your body image?
0: Sure. So I feel like just a little bit of context. Obviously, um this was oh this was back in the day before social media really like off. it yeah. was really a thing and so it was a lot of like my exposure to celebrity culture was through magazines um and like actually at the movies and like occasionally when i got a little bit older like in law school this literally wasn't even until law school when i could like google stuff and read stuff online so Today, this might look a little bit more like Instagram, um, people on Instagram or Instagram influencers or whatever it might be. But back in the day of magazines, it was a lot of magazines. Um, and I I guess I would say like when I think back to my younger self, I, I just felt I felt self-conscious. I felt um, I felt insecure. I wanted people to like me. I didn't always feel like I fit in. I think these are really, really common themes and feelings for people who are going through Adolescents in their teenage years and when I would open a magazine or when I would read about you know when I would read about a celebrity who I you know loved watching in, in a movie or on a tv show and I would see these pictures of them and read these articles about them or see them in movies um and I would just feel like it seemed to me like they didn't have any of the feelings or the insecurities or the fears that I had and I started to really idolize celebrities and celebrity culture and really wanting to feel like I I really wanted to feel like I believed that they felt and in my mind I thought if I can be more like them I will feel more like them. Now in this part of my life, I understand they all have insecurities also, right? Like nobody is, nobody is free from that. But as a, as a teenager, um, I saw that very differently. I was like, they have these perfect lives. Everybody loves them. There's no way they ever have to deal with rejection or insecurity or feeling unconfident or any of those things. So like, if I can just be like a celebrity and, you know, it was like the days of Mary Kay and Ashley and, if I can just be like Mary Kate and Ashley, um, then I'll, then like everything will be okay. And, you know, I just wanted everything to be okay. I wanted to feel okay. And I really started to idolize like a certain body type that I saw predominantly, you know, represented in media at the time and pop culture and thought like, these people are smaller than I am. If I can make my body smaller then I'll, you know, all the things that I just said, I'll be able to feel okay. I'll be able to feel enough. Everybody always want to be around me. I won't ever be rejected. I'll have a wonderful, happy, perfect life. Um, and so started to try to make my body smaller. Um, at the time I, you know, would read magazines that talked about how celebrities ate and I would try to eat in that way. Um, that was sort of the, the very start of my, of my experimenting with dieting. Um, from there, it was like reading different diet books, um, you know, Googling celebrity diets and really just trying to do anything that I could find that these celebrities were saying that they were doing or that their trainers were saying that they were doing and just trying to mimic those behaviors, um, which really set off, a decades long struggle with food where I was completely disconnecting from my body and completely connecting to these external rules and plans. Um, a lot of times like trying to overlap plans and being like, well, I'll do, you know, I'll do what all the celebrities are doing at once. And like, if something is a green light on all these plans, then I'll just do those things. Um, and also, uh, trying to exercise the way that they were exercising. And ultimately it was a cycle of restriction and then I would binge eat in response to the restriction. Um, And that only further perpetuated in my mind that I had a food problem because I was binge eating and I thought like I should be eating less than this, these binges are the problem. Not realizing that the whole reason why I was binge eating in the first place was because my restriction was the problem. The restricting was, was causing then my body to overreach with the binges because it was trying to protect me from the perceived famine of the restriction. And so it was this really painful cycle, restrict binge, restrict binge, um, always feeling again like I wasn't enough or I couldn't do it as well as the celebrities could do it. And um, until I finally decided to get some help, Um, I have shared this before, but the whole reason why I got help, um, was because I thought I had a food problem because of those binges. So it was, it was, a a binge situation that happened that I then shared with my husband, all of the painful thoughts that were happening in my mind and the, the really negative self-talk And then he encouraged me um, to talk to someone because he didn't think that the way that I was thinking about myself or talking to myself was very healthy. Um, And then that started the the path of self-healing where I realized that the binges weren't the problem. They were just a reaction to the underlying problem. They were actually a self-protective mechanism that many people experience when they are restricting.
1: Thank you for comparing it back to social media now too Um, because when I'm reading your story I think we're pretty close to the same we're definitely in the same generation (laughs) and like I was totally in that celebrity culture reading People magazine Mary-Kate and Ashley Olson like that was very much where I was when I was struggling in my food journey as well but for the woman who's struggling now like that can the same sort of these same sort of feelings of comparing ourselves with other people with celebrities can be turned on to, you know, the influencer that we're following on Instagram. And yes. if I just do what they do, then my body will look like the, theirs or my life will be like theirs and we have this yes. idea that like we i love that you mentioned that you know we think that or that you thought and that I, and i definitely agree that it's easy to look at them and think that they have it all together and that they don't have these feelings that we have but we don't know what they're feeling and we all have our own struggles and so that yes. was i think that's 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 really powerful um and i i really also love that you ended up sharing all of this with, with your husband, especially on your honeymoon. Um, and it's funny because I've been to that, the hotel, the Chateau Frontenac you're talking about in your book. Oh, and so yeah. I can like picture it in my head.
0: <laughs> um, it's been years years and such years a since magical place it and is. I definitely like, I really, really want to go back. I mean, there were wonderful parts of our honeymoon. I, uh, like obviously that was a harder moment. But I feel like now it would be so magical to get to go back and experience it and just like with a whole different level of freedom and presence and joy. So I love that you've also been there.
1: Yeah, oh my gosh, you have to go back. Quebec is so beautiful. I haven't been to Quebec City in a while, but I lived in Montreal for a summer and like the whole province is just, is beautiful. Um, And I actually have a similar um, desire. I've been to Italy twice and I went with like a school trip and we traveled all over Italy in my senior year of high school. And I was really, really deep into my disordered eating. And I remember being so restrictive along this entire journey and just having like one tiny bite of the cannoli or like only having half of the gelato, even though I really wanted to finish it because I'm like, oh, like I can't, I can't do that to my body. I am it's just one week. And I'm like looking back going, how sad was it to look back and like have those thoughts and to not be able to to fully experience it. And there were some incredible moments and I still have some great memories from that too. But my husband and I are actually planning a trip to Italy next year for our 10 year anniversary. And that is like, I cannot wait to experience those things with a completely new mindset.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: It's so fun. So I, I I appreciate your sharing all that. And I think that it's, it is really powerful to share with someone that you care about. And especially when they, they turn to you. I know for me, it was my best friend. Um, and they, they tell you that they, that what you're doing might not be healthy. Because we can be in our heads so much like going, oh, this is okay. This is fine. You know. Yep. But having someone and- that you love, it's so, it's it's so different.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so sorry that I just interrupted you. Um, it's all good. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. Um, also, I feel like with the thing like you shared, you know, like it's so helpful to have someone else reflect back to you what's actually happening because yes, we can be in our heads, but also like there's messages everywhere telling us that this kind of behavior is healthy. So that's like super confusing too, because many of us, have struggled, or many people are currently struggling in their relationships with food in the name of quote unquote health. And they think that they're doing these plans or these lifestyle changes or whatever, you know, the diet is called. And it's creating in them a, a deep struggle and a deep, like a deep pain. And that it's very, It's very painful and it's very hard and it's very detrimental. But because diet culture is so prevalent, and I think especially, you know, the prevalence is only more intense with social media and with, you know, so many people just having the ability to share what they're doing. It's like all of a sudden everyone becomes an expert. And so, we're really taking in like more of these messages than probably ever. I would imagine, like definitely more messages now than you know when you had to go to Barnes and Noble and buy a magazine. Um, now people can just like scroll through their phones and see it everywhere, and we're constantly being told that these restrictive behaviors are healthy, and so it makes it very confusing and very hard for someone who thinks that they're doing these quote unquote healthy things, but it's, it's creating, um, a lot of unhealthy and obsessive and destructive behaviors, um, in their lives, physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. Um, and so I, I feel like that's a challenge that just continues to get intensified, um, as social media, as social media grows, because there's just more and more and more, um, access to messages like that. And it's, you know, easier than ever for people to be exposed to hundreds, thousands of those messages literally on a daily basis.
1: I 100% agree. It really is, I think, so important to kind of edit what we see as much as we can, even though a lot of it is so unavoidable, I think to surround ourselves with positivity because it it's just, it's everywhere. It's pervasive, this, you know, this idea. But if we don't know, if we don't know, like you said, that what we're doing might not be healthy and that, you know, we're maybe doing it in the name of health, it can be really hard. And so I think yeah. it's it's women like you doing this work and and, you know, sharing what real true freedom looks like, what breaking free from this idea of perfection really truly looks like, where you can start to open up that conversation and be a voice on the other side where you're like, something's not right here. This is not healthy. We should not be obsessing over these things. There's too much life to live.
0: Mm -hmm. And women like you, the work that you're doing is so important.
1: Well, thank you. So I'm wondering then, what were for you the first steps you took to move forward towards this food freedom and breaking free from this perfection around eating?
0: For me, my, well, I guess my first step was just sharing with someone, right? Like just acknowledging I'm having these thoughts. I'm having these feelings because that's a big, that's a big step for a lot of people is just saying it out loud, like with someone that you feel safe with, like really telling them what you're experiencing. Um, so that was step number one. And then step number two for me was getting professional support, um, First of all, I completely understand that getting professional support is a privilege and having access to support and the finances for that support is absolutely a privilege. Um, and I acknowledge that and I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. Um, but when I started my healing journey, I really didn't know any other way to do life than the way that I was doing it. I could acknowledge obviously like that. It wasn't, that it wasn't feeling good, that it didn't feel right, that it was really hard and challenging, but I had been doing it that way for so long that I hoped there was a different way to do it. And I wanted to do it differently, but I didn't know how. And so for me asking for professional support, both through coaching and therapy, um, was my, was my first, um, my first step. And it was really then through this professional support that I started unpacking, um, both the internal like dialogue and belief systems that I had built up over so many years, but also starting to practice different external actions as well. So interacting differently, um, with food and with exercise and just engaging differently in my life. Um, and it was really a slow process. I went from being extremely 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 rigid um and orthorexic in my food behaviors very restrictive to entering what i would now term more as like the like the wellness diet where i started to let go of some of my like rigidity and obsession but was still like very focused on um was still very focused on okay I can eat as much as I need, but I'm only going to eat like these certain foods. And that was kind of like the next phase for me. And then from there, it was really letting go of all of once I was eating enough, letting go of all of those food rules and really getting to a place where I was truly eating intuitively. And then from intuitive eating, I feel like there was like the next phase, which is just being a normal eater where it's almost like even less intentional, like less focused on How hungry am I? How full am I? Um, Being really present and more to food, just being like a very normal, natural part of my life um, that I think very little of now. And so that was that was the process.
1: I think that's so great that you kind of just brought us through those different phases because I don't think that's something I've talked about on the podcast or anyone else has talked about on the podcast or that there are these different phases to our intuitive eating journey there it's not just it's not like you know all of a sudden, I've decided that I'm going to stop dieting or I'm going to stop restricting or I'm going to stop, you know, being crazy obsessive over, you know, eating clean or whatever it is to becoming an intuitive eater. It takes that time. It takes from moving into, you know, maybe still having those rules around food to releasing those rules and becoming an intuitive eater. But then I talk about this with the women I work I work with a lot, that the goal isn't actually to become an intuitive eater. The goal is to become a normal eater. We're eating is yeah. a normal, natural, joyous part of our life, but we're not thinking about it all the time and how powerful it is when we get to that point.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think back and this is something like I've even had to do some like personal work around, like with really working through releasing like some guilt and, and shame around this because I am now, because I am now so like passionate about and immersed in intuitive eating and health at every size but even when i first started my business there were there were things that i was was saying there were things that i believed that were still very much rooted in diet culture but i just did not know that at the time and that was you know years and years ago but like there were there were things that i was sharing things that i was saying messages that um that i was perpetuating that we're still—it's—it was kind of like one foot in diet culture, like one foot out, um, and so I've even grown so much in my own personal relationship with food, but just the way that I, the way that I like understand this, and my my knowledge and, and my understanding um, about diet culture and intuitive eating and and normal eating and all of that um, over over the years. And so I think that it's so important to acknowledge that it doesn't happen overnight. And for every single person who I know, who is either embracing this, like in their own personal life, or uh, maybe even like in their professional life, that it's an, it's an evolution and it's a, it's a constant state of, it's a constant state of growth and learning and developing and that there are phases And it does not happen overnight and it's okay if you are in it and it's not happening overnight. I don't know anybody who has had like this just, you know, finger snapping like overnight experience in terms of that growth.
1: Yeah, totally. And thank you for sharing your own experience too with, with growing in, in your relationship with food and as a professional in this, because I think we are all on, as long as we allow ourselves to be on this, this in this place of growth. And I know that I have learned so much. It's only been a couple years for me and my business that I've been sharing about intuitive eating, but, you know, learning from other incredible women in the field. um, And there's a few men in there, too, that I learned from, too. Um, But, you know, I work primarily with women. So, I mean, learning from them and growing in that. And I think that's, that's really important that we are always growing, whether we're a professional or whether we're someone just on this journey to becoming an intuitive eater and eventually a normal eater, that it does require growth and that even when we think that we've you know made it to that point sometimes we still need to grow <laughs> and sometimes unexpectedly yeah. we're like oh I did not realize that I still needed to grow in that area
0: absolutely and I feel like that ties so beautifully uh to like the conversation that we were having on around perfectionism that like we we're probably not gonna we're not gonna be perfect intuitive eaters we're not gonna be we're not going to be perfect at anything that we do. And so the more that we can let that go and just really embrace the process and the growth opportunities and the learning and be with ourselves through all of that, through the awesome like moments that feel so successful, but also the growing pains, um, the more that we'll really be able to embrace like the the full journey.
1: Yeah, Oh, I love that. So I think this is a good lead into something that um, we haven't actually talked about on the podcast and something that I think is really important to talk about when we are talking about healing our relationship with food and growing in our relationship with food is when you are someone um, who – and I know you are someone who – worked on healing your relationship with food, um, with food constraints. Because I know that there are a lot of women listening who might have food allergies or severe food intolerances and you have celiac disease. So how does this then, having these like inherent restrictions, how does this play a role in finding food freedom and not allowing this to feel like a restriction?
0: Totally. So intuitive eating can be for anyone. It can be for someone who has an autoimmune disease, like celiac disease, someone who has a, a food allergy, um, someone who uh, maybe has something like type two, di- type two diabetes and needs some like medical nutrition therapy. Like, Intuitive eating truly can be for anyone and is for everyone. And so I think that that's a really important place to come from always when having this conversation. Um, for me, having celiac disease means that anytime that my body comes in contact with gluten, so whether I would eat it or whether like it would be in a lotion that I would put on my skin, essentially um, my body starts to attack itself. And so that... Obviously, like gluten does not work for my body. It is not um, it's not a healthy choice for my body. It causes a lot of pain and a lot of distress physically for me. Um, I have found that really, really understanding the messages that my body is sending me when I eat gluten or when I come into contact with gluten, and really thinking about, oh my gosh. How can I be attuned to those messages? How can I honor my body um, while still really enjoying food has been so powerful for me in terms of intuitive eating. So I can acknowledge that my body um, does not do well, does not feel, feel well when I ingest gluten or when it's in my body or on my body. Um, but what does it mean to say like, all right, I'm going to choose not to eat gluten because of these messages that my body is sending me. But I also want to choose to have a lot of freedom and flexibility and joy and pleasure and satisfaction in my relationship with food. And for me, that has meant making sure that I am eating all of the things that I would be eating if I, chose to eat, eat gluten, but eating delicious gluten-free versions of those things. So it means making sure that I have bread and cookies and pizza crusts and all of that stuff readily available and that it's a regular part of my life and my food experiences, but doing it in a way that also um, protects and takes care, um, takes care of my body. And so that is how I have balanced that situation is making sure to have lots of delicious gluten-free, um, options that keep me from feeling, um, deprived or keep me from feeling, uh, like I am restricting myself in any way. And I think that that's an important thing for people to remember that intuitive eating really is a set of guiding principles that are trying to help you to get to a place where you are you have a relationship with food that feels good to your body and works with your values and allows you to prioritize your health if that's something that is important to you. And for me prioritizing my health means that I choose not to eat gluten because of the impact that it has on my body with my because of my celiac disease, but also In a way that feels pleasurable and satisfying um, and sustainable and not rigid and not restrictive. And so that's how that looks for me.
1: I love that. I love that you related it back to just another way of attuning in or attuning to your body. So tuning into your body and recognizing that these foods or this, you know, this protein just doesn't work. For your body and having that be like another form of self care of taking care of your body, rather than something that feels restrictive. So you're allowing yourself all of those foods still, it's just they're just a little bit different than what you know, someone else might grab at you know, your, your normal bakery. Um, I love that. And oh my gosh, how many amazing gluten-free like baked goods and pizza crusts and things like that are there now compared to years ago.
0: Oh my gosh. So amazing. I mean, it's wild because I've had, I've known that I've had celiac for like over a a decade now at this point. And I remember when I went into the doctor's office and they were like, okay, like we confirm the diagnosis. You have celiac disease you need to, um, you need to basically like cut gluten out of your life. You know, it's not just about eating. Like I said, like it could be something that goes on to my skin, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, cross-contamination tells me this. And I was literally like, what is gluten? Like I had never even heard that word before. And then he starts to kind of like go through the list and like tell me all about it. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like very overwhelming. Um, And from then until now, it is like a whole different world in terms of, options and available, like available gluten-free substitutes. I, I mean, I just feel like there are so many amazing, delicious gluten-free options. So many restaurants have gluten-free menus. Um, so there's gluten-free bakeries. Like it is just a whole different world.
1: It is totally. I remember uh, my best friend in high school, her dad has celiac disease. And when I would go over to her house for dinner, like I remember him having to go to one specific grocery store because they had one tiny gluten free section and he had those like rice crackers that like taste like air with salt on them and then like yeah. this like gluten-free pasta that was like really sticky and kind of icky and like we would eat it but I'd be like this was kind of weird totally.
0: <laughs> but there's so yeah, many I, great totally. options
1: now even like I know that I've I've struggled with um digest- digestive issues for a, a really long time um and thankfully I haven't experienced them in a long time but that is kind of whenever they flare up that's another that's another signal that I need to better tune into my body um but gluten was one of those things mm-hmm. when I was in and this is not a recommendation this is is just my own experience. Um, for a time, I had to remove it from my diet just because I was having some, some big struggles. I was really inflamed. And it was, it was under a doctor's recommendation. Um, but that was like eight years ago now um, that I experienced that because it was far before my daughter. Um, and oh my goodness, the difference even then and now is just crazy.
0: Totally. Yes.
1: So I have one question that... I actually found as I'm going through the bio on your website, because I always, I always like to look through, you know, everyone, everyone who I'm going to interview, usually it's someone that I've been following on social media or somebody who I've read their book or somebody who really inspires me. Those are the women that I want to have on the podcast. But of course, I I always go through and do some more research on them to make sure I've got a really good um, picture of of who they are and and what I want to ask them. And the end of your bio on your website kind of like stopped me. And it says, if I could time travel, I would hug my younger self and share the truths I've discovered. But since I can't, I'm doing the next best thing I can think of, sharing them with you. And I think you're already doing that with us today, but I am curious, as we start to get to the end of this podcast, what would you share with your younger self if you could?
0: Oh my gosh. So I feel like there are just so many things that I would, that I would want to tell her, but I feel like one thing that is coming to mind, um, is just like to let life, to let life unfold and not to feel like you have to control the outcome. And this is something that I would go back in time and tell my much younger self. Um, But also it's something that I would tell like, you know, myself this morning too, right? Like just don't try to control the outcome, be present, let life unfold um, as it's meant to. And I think the other thing that I have to remind myself all the time, and I know my younger self needed to hear it even more than my current self, is that you are not responsible for making everyone happy. And I can really fall into people pleasing tendencies and this was something that was so much more prevalent um, in like my earlier years even more than it is now and just reminding myself like you are not responsible for everyone's happiness Um, and that's something that I needed to hear then a lot and I need to hear now a little bit.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that so much. Oh, I I can totally relate to that now and in the past. I love that. So you have a program, beautifully imperfect, and I think it revolves a lot around what you've you've talked about today. Um, can you share a little bit more about this, and if you're going to be launching it anytime soon?
0: Yeah, I have a I have an eight week group coaching program um, called Beautifully Imperfect, and it was the program was completely inspired by the book Letting Go of Leo. So once the book came out, I got a lot of messages from people saying like, I loved the book, I related to it. I want to like implement some of these things in my life. How do I do that? And so, um, it's eight weeks talking about the tools and the strategies and the shifts to really let go of perfection in our lives and learn how to embrace our beautifully imperfect lives. So I love it. It's a, it's a small intimate group coaching program, um, that I have run, um, a couple of times now and definitely, uh, hope to run again in the future in, in some capacity or another.
1: It sounds so wonderful, and i I will tell you now that i've I've read your book and adored your book, which everyone is going to go out and read now if they have not already. Hopefully, they have, but they're going to go out and read it. Um, but if I were where I was a few years ago, I would jump right in into <laughs> your program because it sounds amazing.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you so much. I truly like have get so much joy out of leading of leading that group. I I love. I love getting to do small group coaching. It's it's such a cool experience.
1: Community is is really awesome. It's so great. So yes. do you do you have any last advice um, for the listener who is wanting to live a beautifully imperfect life?
0: I would say that if you can think about one thing in your life right now, today, like you don't have to go out and change anything, one thing that is already in your life right now. Um that would feel so good to give your full attention and presence to today and just really to take a moment to connect with that, whether it's a person who you want to reach out to and just check in with them and listen to what they have to share or your body. You just want to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Um, nature, you want to get outside for some fresh air or maybe just like snuggling a baby, one of your babies or something like that, whatever it might be something in your life that, um, would feel good to tune into a little bit more to connect with, to be present with, um, that a great place to start is to prioritize that today and take a few minutes to connect with something that already is in your life that is meaningful and important to you without needing to fix anything, without needing to change anything. And just to really, to really connect with that today
1: hmm so good oh my gosh so I have three final little rapid fire questions for you um which I love to ask every guest just because I we talk a lot about food and finding this this place of freedom with food and I love to share food in a way that is joyful um and because I am a chef I'm a foodie at heart um I would love for you to answer these final three questions for me So the first one is, what is your favorite thing to cook?
0: Well, my favorite thing to cook is probably um, Ina Garten's Perfect Roast Chicken. It is like comes out looking like a Thanksgiving feast. It is so, it's so beautiful. It's so simple. It takes a little bit of time. It's like a two hour process, but most of that is just the chicken like roasting in the oven. Um, and every time I get to serve it like to my family or to friends, I feel like it's just like such a gift and just like the most delicious, uh, wonderful meal. So I would say that's probably my favorite thing currently to cook.
1: Oh, that's so special! I love that you like to serve it to your family too. That sounds delicious. I love a really good roast chicken, so I'm gonna have to yeah, check that out. I like eating so a garden. Good. <laughs>
0: Yes, she's so wonderful. And then and then the and then you can use like, depending on how on how like fancy you get in the kitchen, like you can use the bones and like use them to make a really delicious broth. And it's just like there's so many things that you can do with it, like once it's done. But oh my gosh, it's so good. And you can just Google the recipe. It's online.
1: Awesome. So then what is your favorite thing to order if you're going to a restaurant or have someone else cook for you?
0: Favorite thing to order when I'm at a restaurant, I actually like love to order really, um, I love to order like really hearty salads at a restaurant because I think making a salad with tons of different ingredients is something that I don't do a ton at home Um, because it always seems like, oh my gosh, it's like so expensive to have to buy like the 15 different things to put on top of the salad, like just to eat one salad. And then you have like all of the stuff left over. So when I'm out at a restaurant, I love to order a salad that has like tons of different toppings, like avocados and nuts and fruit and like some kind of meat and cheese and like all of that different stuff. I feel like that is such a, that's something that I really like genuinely enjoy at a restaurant.
1: It really is an art to build a beautiful yes. salad with all of these different like flavors and the contrast of, you know, the sweet of maybe like a dried fruit and maybe like the savory of like either a protein or a cheese and then like the crunchy nuts. So, oh yeah, I'm totally with you. A really nice salad yeah. is awesome.
0: shout <laughs> Sal- like a meal salad is definitely, definitely an art. So I'm, I'm happy to consume that when someone else makes it anytime. And then For someone else to cook for me, I mean, my mom is, like, the most amazing – is the most amazing cook. And she makes the most delicious homemade red sauce and meatballs. Um, And so I would gladly let her cook me homemade red sauce with, like, pasta and meatballs anytime.
1: (laughs) Oh, so good. I love that. (laughs) I have a silly question for you. Do you still eat pad thai? I know mean, you talked in your book about like no. t- that was like the only thing you ate when you were pregnant. <laughs> no,
0: I don't eat it anymore. And in fact, I mean, I wouldn't call this I wouldn't call this like a food rule, but I have like a list of foods now that are repulsive to me from both of my pregnancies because I so I had I had 24 seven nausea, both of my pregnancies the entire time oh and like gosh. vomited multiple times every single day. There were only a select number of foods, very limited foods that I could eat during both of my pregnancies. During my first one was pad thai. During my second one, we did like a lot of like a lot of toaster waffles. There were like tons of toaster waffles that also was like part of my first one. Like I had these super limited um like lists of food that were even like palatable that I could even handle like during both my pregnancies. And now that I'm out of both of those pregnancies, like, I don't want to touch, like, any of the foods that I ate when I was pregnant. It's like, they've been ruined for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I totally understand that. And I don't I don't think that's a food rule at all. I think that's no. just, <laughs> when that's all you can eat for nine months, oh my gosh, yeah. that sounds awful. I only had those, like, you know, the first few months of awful, so I can't even imagine the whole time. But you have two beautiful babies for it, so I guess, you know. <laughs> One
0: 000, million percent worth it. Totally. <laughs>
1: yeah. So my last question is, I love that you talk about um, being beautifully imperfect, because what I talk about a lot is finding your beautiful balance. So going beyond obsessing over food and finding nourishment and pleasure in food and in life. So what does your beautiful balance mean to you?
0: Right now, um, I think it means just intentionally carving out time for the things that are most important to me in my life. Whether it be time with family or connecting with friends, um, getting outside, doing work that lights me up, just being really intentional to carve out um, devoted time for each of those things um, in in my life, not every single day, but um, over like a longer period of time and really filling my days and my weeks with things that are are meaningful to me and giving myself the gift of being present with those things
1: oh i love that presence is such a gift oh well thank you simi so much for being on this has been an incredible conversation i cannot wait to put this out to the world um can you just share where my listeners can find you
0: Absolutely. Um, SimiBodich.com. And I'm on Instagram at SimiBodich. And it has been so wonderful. You are an incredible person. And I'm so grateful that I got to spend this time with you. So thank you.
1: Oh, well, me too. Thank you so much again. Thank you
0: so much
1: for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me.